Well, good morning. My name is Carrie, and we are in a series called Money, Sex, and Power, Sacred Gifts or Toxic Idols. And as we've journeyed in this these last few weeks, it's been my joy to make you uncomfortable and me uncomfortable, because these are three difficult subjects for us to talk about, but they're spot on with Scripture. And what we're going to find out today and next week is that uh, the whole subject of sex and sexuality is not to be shunned, but we often do. But if we're to look at our culture, and if we're look at each of your lives, the subject of sex and sexuality is front and center. You would agree that the world in which we live is highly sexualized, and it may not be the uh, act of sex itself, but sensuality, eroticism, and being able to uh, promote a product or whatever it may be through the means of sex and sexuality is just commonplace. And we find that in our culture, more and more there is pressure not to live according to the biblical guidelines, and we're going to be looking at some of those. But I want you to know that this morning, as we step into this, my heart is really to bring health, wholeness, healing, inspiration, and encouragement to a beautiful subject. It's not taboo. It should be spoken about in church. Like we said, it's part of our culture. But conversations concerning the subject in houses of worship are tedious and difficult for various reasons. But it's worth taking the step to be able to jump in on the subject because few, I believe, ultimately experience what God's desire is in the breadth of sex and sexuality. And many, maybe you're here today, have experienced brokenness through this very subject. And so my heart's endeared to it, not because it's a pop thing to be able to put in a series, but because you're important. And you're important to God. And I have no idea the journey that you've been on. But every one of us, every one of us have a journey in this area. And God wants to speak to you today and as we move forward. God and sex. What's your story? Here's one story of a young person. I had a friend, and she had told me that, you know, like her and her boyfriend were having sex. You know, it was, oh my gosh, it was so great. You got to try it. She made it sound so enticing that it was just like, wow, I want to do that too. And I was like, guys talk about it like it's nothing so it hey it must be nothing you know like everybody must be doing it and I was like oh well that's how you get guys because like, that's what they like <laughs> my freshman year of high school I had a friend and I had liked him ever since middle school like I was practically like in love with him and he asked me if I wanted to come over, and I did. You know, just one thing led to the next, and I lost my virginity. And I look back on that day and just can't believe it. I put myself in that situation for that to happen. I thought it was something that I would like, and I did for the most part until I didn't get anything out of it that I thought I was going to get. I didn't understand that, oh, just because that happened, that still the same like how does that work out like I thought if I did that you'd want to be my boyfriend and he was like no you're basically just another notch in my headboard come on now I was attending a youth group and we did have like the sex lesson like why you should wait I really didn't ever want to stand up and just be like well I have sex 
because I was scared. Like, I didn't want him to go to my parents and, like, tell them. And then my parents would be like, oh, my gosh, Emily, why did you do that? You know, most of my friends did have boyfriends. And I wanted to feel what they were feeling. I wanted that sense of, like, security like they had. Like, yes, they were having sex with their boyfriends, but they were their boyfriends. They were together. They spent every day together, you know? Like, I wanted that. It was very straining on me emotionally because I would get attached to a guy and then, you know, he'd ask me, he'd be like, oh, you know, I really like you, but will you have sex with me? So I'd be like, okay, thinking that that would keep him around longer. Two weeks later, I would be left with nothing. It, it's a blow to your self-esteem to be walking down the street and have a guy walk up to you and be like, I know who you are. You're so easy. Like, no girl wants to be known as the high school slut. I constantly set myself up for disappointment by going for the same type of guys that I knew that all they were going to want to do was sleep with me and then leave me. But I thought, by the slim chance, I may get one that would just, I don't know, magically fall in love with me. So what I thought I'd do is now open it up for testimonies. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, right? No? Yeah, I'm kidding. But I tell you what, part of me would like to hear you unpack your journey, not for the sake of the details and all that, but for the sake of hearing from your heart as to if you have discovered in your life Sex and sexuality as God intended for it to be? Or has it been a part of the brokenness of your life, disappointment, or even today, yearnings that are not fulfilled? Because God created sex. And God created our sexuality. And, and then something happened. The adversary got a hold of it and tried to ruin it. Our sinful nature comes into play and goes off on paths and courses that lead us to disappointment, frustration, and disillusionment. And then our culture sort of picks up the whole subject and says, nah, 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 nah. The way that God intended for this to be is, is not the way, so here's what you need to do. And so there's a whole new sexual ethic that's trying to be defined in our culture. And guess what? It's not just in our culture. I see it happening in the church and in evangelical Christianity. We are up against an onslaught of attack of the adversary, Satan himself, and our sinful nature, and our culture, to push us in ways that are not ones that discover the sacred gift of sex, but we fall prey to the toxins of it becoming an idol. A passage that uh, we looked at our first couple weeks comes out of Romans. And the Apostle Paul in Romans is proclaiming the power of the gospel to bring salvation and transformation to the world. And then he describes the human condition. And he gets pretty dark and heavy with the human condition. He, he talks about you know, mankind being able to, to know things about God by what has been seen and what's been made and his eternal power, but that mankind's rejected God and turned to their own ways. And he says this in Romans 1.21, For although they knew God, they, who's they, the people that were not following and worshiping God, those who turned towards the ways of the world, for although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But their thinking became futile, and their foolish hearts 
were darkened. So it was not only true then, it's true today. It's true today in our culture. It's true today in the church. It's true today maybe in your life. That you've done an exchange game, right? We're coming up on Christmas, right? It'll happen real quick. You know how that goes. Halloween, Thanksgiving, oh my gosh, it's Christmas, right? And they'll do the exchange gifts. Well, what we've done is we've exchanged something. We've exchanged the glory of God and the beauty of Him in a relationship with Him for other things, and, and hearts have become darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal man, human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, guess what happened? Because of the great exchange, God said, all right, have it your way. He steps back and it says, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. And then it begins to describe some of the ways that that exchange happened, that which was good and beauty of God. And it's interesting that Paul mentions here in this part of Romans, if, if, you're, if you're going to discard something and then you're going to go another direction, he brings out to the forefront the whole subject of sex and sexuality. And Paul was seeing it in his day without question. God gave them over because of this to shameful lust. And it goes on there and it describes for even women exchange natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, men abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and so received into themselves the due penalty for their provision. And, and we all get caught up in a lot of times in the particular acts maybe that are listed there. But I tell you what, across the spiritual spectrum, the sexual spectrum, it doesn't matter. There is brokenness and there is shame. Full lusts that are consuming maybe your life today. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, there's that phrase again. He gave them over. To a depraved mind to do what ought not to be done. They became filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these things, but also approve of those who practice them. So I position this tweaked statement to you again today with an addition from what I said a couple weeks ago when we started this series. We either worship God and find our ultimate intimacy in a relationship with Jesus, or we do the gift exchange. We exchange it, the worship of God, for something or someone else. And God, therefore, gives us over to our own illicit desires. My desire this morning in this series on this subject is to reverse the course. That which maybe you have fallen into, and it's easy to describe our world around us, that, that, that drift towards the shameful lust and sexual impurity, to redeem it, to grab a hold of it, bring it back and say, this is the beauty of God. And even if you have brokenness, or like the Emily testimony we just saw, even if you have fallen or had brokenness or made wrong decisions, God can redeem, God can change, God can restore at whatever season of life or age that you are in this area. 
because it's a battleground. There's spiritual warfare that goes on in this whole subject matter because it gets to the very core of our created essence of who God has made us to be. I'd actually like to broaden the subject because I didn't want to speak on God and sex. Not because there's a hesitation, though I know many of you are praying for me not to mess up in this talk. But because we've narrowed this thing down to sex as an act. Where sex as just an expression of physicality. You have to understand sex in the broader context of sexuality because we are sexual beings. So I position that to you first. God created me as a sexual being and said it is very good. Sex is God's idea. Sexuality is his sacred gift to cherish. So now I'm going to have you not say awkward words, but we're going to say that sentence together. You ready? Here we go. God, this is your time to (laughs) not leave me standing up here, all right? God created me as a sexual being and said it is very good. We're going to say it again. God created me as a sexual being and said it is very good. And one of the reasons I exhort us to say that is because a lot of times in circles such as this, in Christian circles, it's taught that God is, that, that the whole subject, well, God, that's just different, and, and sex, sex is bad. Sex is something dirty. Sex is something awful, so save it for your husband, right? It's, no. Sex is beautiful. Our sexuality was gifted by God, and it's something to be cherished. And I tell you what grieves me the most when I see a testimony like we just heard with that young lady is because that cherished gift of her sexuality was abused and taken from her, and she was confused in all of it, and she lived following that experience of losing her virginity at a place of disillusionment. And God, God grieves and weeps with her. She was a believer. She was trying to do good things, and she'd fallen this way, just tempted, maybe found herself in a place she shouldn't be. But God wants you to know that sex and sexuality is good. It's his idea. It should not be shunned and pushed off. But because he created it, as the creator, he has some pretty good ideas of how it's supposed to work. And it's just not the mechanics of how it's supposed to work. How many times I've heard the concept, oh, we, we need to have sex, we need to live together, we need to do these things just in case, you know, to make sure we're compatible so when we do get married. Well, friends, here's the deal. I don't think that getting it to work or function is all that difficult once you get into marriage when it comes to the physical aspect of it. But the broader context of God's beauty for the sexuality and being able to live before Him without shame and an understanding of that is critically important to begin from day one and to move through. You know, I, uh, I know that each of us do have our testimony in this. And I, by any means, am not one who was blameless and above reproach in my dating life. I didn't get married till I was 29. But one of the beauties that God was able to protect in my life, as well as the life of my wife, is that we were able to abstain and save ourselves for one another in the confines of a covenant marriage. 
In fact, it's sort of, sort of, uh, <laughs> it's weird. You know, hey, and some of you know this journey because you got married later in life. Some of you maybe are still single and that kind of thing. And you're going, oh my gosh, where he's going to go? What's he going to do here? It is possible to keep purity till you're married at 29, but it's not easy. It's not easy. And I, I remember, you know, I, I used to say to God, maybe you say this, maybe you're saying this now, like, God, do not come back. Jesus, do not come back until I can get married and have sex. I mean, that was just a prominent thought of mine in my 20s, man. I'm going to have sex. Go the full way kind of thing, you know. And I'm like, Jesus, please don't. Please just allow that. I know you want to come back and the world's really bad and everything, but could you just preserve that? And so there was a lot of anticipation building up, and we got married in the cold of a February day in the Midwest. It was freezing cold. I still remember the day my wife had me sing at our wedding. You've heard me say that before, and I always, uh, that's sort of where I'm scarred. I don't know, it's like I forgot the song I was supposed to sing or the lyrics, but the lyrics were actually beautiful. We sang, I cherish the treasure, I cherish the treasure of you. It was a beautiful kind of moment, and we had the reception afterwards. It wasn't too much like the how they do it up big today and that kind of thing. But man, before I know it, we're in the car, and we're headed south from Indianapolis to Cincinnati, and we're going to the embassy suites right along the Ohio River. River, and I've got a suite ready for us there because, hey, it's time. It's time, right? It was cold. You're tired. You know how all that is at the end of that wedding experience. You're like, oh my gosh, and now, now, now here's the honeymoon, and the honeymoon's supposed to be something special, but I just am spent, right? You're overwhelmed, all the plans, whether they went good or bad. You're headed to the honeymoon site. We get there. I'm a little awkward. I'm a little embarrassed. You know, it's like, how's this going to go? Because I don't know how. And, and I said, well, I'm pretty sweaty. I need to go get a shower. And can you believe this? The embassy suites in Cincinnati on that particular day chose not to have hot water it was a cold shower and I think God was maybe saying just chill out be don't be aggressive here kind of thing right well I tell you what uh, we got through the shower and we got through that evening and it was a beautiful evening it wasn't about getting it through but I tell you what we joined together in consummating our marriage and there was something special about that. Now, as part of my testimony, maybe that isn't part of your testimony, but God wants to redeem and he wants to restore and he wants to make things whole because he has a plan. We went on to uh, the hills of Tennessee and, and stayed in a chalet and, and we had a really good time warming things up there. In fact, so much my wife caught one of the uh, uh, lamp chandeliers on fire. So it's like, we really caught it going. <laughs> just sort of knocked a candle. It wasn't a big deal. But what I just described to you is embedded in my mind. And it's embedded in my wife Melissa's mind. Why? Because it was a big deal. And it was a big deal not only to experience the act of consummating our marriage. It was a big deal because we wanted Sex and sexuality to be a wholesome part of our life and never come into bringing division in our marriage. And so whether you're saving yourself or God restores that which you lost, when you bring the understanding of God's purpose for sex and sexuality into His plan, He will bless you. Will there be ups and downs? Will there be challenges? Are there different seasons of life where, hey, it's hot, it's cold? That kind of, sure, all that can be a part of that journey. But let's not so easily discard the sex and sexuality that God intended for his created human beings to have with some new, even Christian sexual ethic that says, well, it's fine to do it here and there. Wouldn't you think that the guy, the God who created it, would know how it needs to play its way out? But my purpose is not to condemn or to shun or to give a bunch of rebuke. My purpose is for you to grab a hold of, first of all, that God created us as sexual beings, and He said it is very good. And I tell you what, I... And just jealous enough, I want the very good. And that was one of the motivating factors for me to seek 
in my 20s to keep this area dedicated to God. And if you are unmarried today, no matter what path you're on, you're single, you're watching online, can I encourage you to want the very good and to go God's direction in what he has planned for us in this area? Because we are sexual beings, and it is God's idea. You discover that back in Genesis, you know, when God created mankind. It says in Genesis 2.18 that the Lord said it is not for good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. God had created Adam. He created the world. He created all the animals. And um, the Lord said, this is good, this is good, this is good, this is good. But then he looked at Adam all by his lonesome self and he said, this is not good. There's not a suitable helper. And so right after this passage, it says that God paraded all the animals in front of him for him to name. And so he named this animal, he named that animal, that kind of thing. And it's interesting because God wasn't, uh, I don't know, it, it, God was sort of, yeah, he was getting that assignment done where he named the names of the animals. That's probably a big job because I'd run out of names. But Adam named the animals. But in this parade of animals, there was the realization in Adam's life that there was no one suitable for him. It wasn't like God brought the puppy dogs along and said, oh, wouldn't a puppy dog be good enough for you? How about that, a puppy dog? Well, a puppy dog can give a lot of warmth and encouragement, but it was not a companion for him. There was no one suitable. Then the Lord God made a woman from his rib. From the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. So God did the first anesthesia work, and he put Adam asleep. Then he did the first surgical procedure, and he cut, and he took a rib out of man, and he created woman from that rib coming out of man. There's that compatibility Male and female. Male and female in this. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. God created sex. It was his idea. He knows how it's most best to be cherished as a gift and he immediately identifies that sex is to be in the confines of a marriage. One flesh union. Leave father and mother. Now this is spoken back into that text by the author of the text because, you know, Adam didn't like have well, I don't know who my father and mother. But from the very beginning, it's understood biblically that this is to be, sex is to be, sexuality is to be expressed in its fullness in the confines of marriage. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I'm glad y'all put clothes on today coming here. Why do we do that? Because of the fall of mankind. In that Garden of Eden, they were naked, they were unashamed. Sex and sexuality had its purity and its intent as God desired. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. So, Adam falls asleep. God takes the rib. Here's a woman. He wakes up out of it. I mean, the first sexual awakening was not in the 60s, guys. The first sexual awakening was Adam going, Whoa, wow, that's pretty great. Good job, God. And the first command God gave on the heels of that was, go have sex. That's what it says there. Didn't you see it? It says, be fruitful. There's no way to be fruitful unless you have sex and multiply, right? So this initiative from the very beginning, man and woman, husband and wife, 
God bringing together in a covenant relationship for his glory takes that glory which he made in his image, us male and female, placed it in two individuals. They came together and united, and there was not only sex, there was worship. Now, that's an awkward connection, isn't it? Our sex and our sexuality when expressed as God desires for it to be, is an act of worship. We're made in the image of God. We're made in the image of God, male and female. Embrace the identity. Embrace the journey. And put it in the place that it needs to be. So there you go. Men, some of you can go home and say, let's worship Jesus today. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. If we're to understand sex and sexuality and its beauty, we have to understand the creation and God's original intent for us as male and female. You know, John 10, 10, one of my favorite verses. Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. And in this area of sex and sexuality, we see that the thief has come and stolen an awful lot. He's killed. He's brought division. The brokenness, the uh, roadkill is all over the place. Maybe you're healing from some of it in your life. But Jesus then said, I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. He wants you to have life to the full, including this area of your life. But I was thinking about it this week, and I thought, you know, we're the Awakening Church. We say we want more and more people, people leading people, to be fully alive in Christ and to his mission. And a lot of it's based off that verse 10, 10, 10 of John. But if God created sexuality and we are called to be fully alive in Christ, then to be fully alive in Christ includes being fully alive in our sexuality. And our sexuality, and if I can take a turn, I almost wish I could have had a session uh, to speak to single people before we talk about the broader subject of marriage and the consummation of marriage and all that. Our sexuality is broader than the physical act itself of sex. Richard Foster says this. Will you follow along with me in this quote? Because there's some point here I really want to make, and somebody here or online needs to understand this. Our human sexuality, our maleness and femaleness, is not just an accidental arrangement of the human species, not just a convenient way to keep the human race going. No, it is at the center of our true identity, our true humanity. We exist as male and female in relationship. So what he's doing here, he's starting to unpack this concept of our sexuality is so much bigger than the sex act itself, but it contains the idea of relationship, complementarian relationship, male and female. And though God has established that sexual intercourse is for the parameters of marriage, he does not say, shut down your sexuality until you get married. Because you are made a sexual person. So to shut down your sexuality as a single person, is, you're just gonna, that's going to be really out. You're going against how God made you to be. But the question is, how do you express and enjoy your sexuality, male or female, before the beauty of God's plan for that sex act or acts to be found in a marriage and it has to do with relationship there is mutual relationship male and female by which and this is going to get in trouble me in trouble with some of you maybe there is mutual sexual sexuality might be the better way to say it exchange when male and female interact in a friendship relationship. 
he goes on and says, our sexualness, our capacity to love and be loved is intimately related to our creation in the image of God, like we just looked at. What a high view of human sexuality. Notice, too, that the biblical stress is upon relationship, and it helps to enlarge our understanding of human sexuality. The problem with our topless bars in the pornographic literature of our day is not that they emphasize sexuality too much, but that they do not emphasize it enough. They totally eliminate relationship and restrain sexuality to the narrow confines of the genital. They have made sex trivial. And the testimony we had today was exactly that. She thought that giving away her virginity and being found in a sex relationship with this hopeful boyfriend would lead to something better and greater for them. But what was in his mind? You're just another notch on my headboard. Another person I conquered. Because sexuality was thrown out the window and what was brought to the forefront was the sex act itself. In other words, he made sex trivial and she felt the shame of it. Because sex is not unto itself. It's expressing it's a part of our much bigger sexuality. That's why he goes on and says, how much richer and fuller is the biblical perspective to chat over coffee, to discuss a great book, to view a sunset together. This is sexuality at its best. For male and female are an intimate relationship. To be sure, genital sex is a part of the total picture, but human sexuality is far larger, a far larger reality than mere coitus or sexual intercourse. Friends, God created us as a sexual being, and it is very good. Sex was his idea. Our sexuality is sacred. It's a gift to be cherished. And our sexuality can be experienced prior to genital sex. Some of my fondest memories of Melissa and I are in our courtship special places that we'd gone to. Mystic Seaport, right? What was happening in those moments it was not a sex act, but it was sexual exchange. The sitting and enjoying conversation with one another, being able to see a sunset together, being able to, uh, to talk about the things of God. You're a sexual being. God created it but you don't have to see it as limited. You can experience sexuality in healthy relationships, one with another. And men, you protect the sanctity of the woman. And women, you protect the honor of the man. And you journey through it together, and even if you're not even dating, you can experience healthy sexuality by being in good mixed gender company that to you might be a little off today but i want you to know i believe it's true of our imago day of being made in the image of god he did not tell us to shut it all down experience in beautiful good healthy non-sex act relationships is an appropriate place for single people single again people Whoever you might find yourself in that category, God wants you to be able to experience wholeness and sexuality. God's gift of sexuality and marriage is for several things. Adoration, the expression of marital love. I'm not going to take the time to go there. I tell you what, uh, some of you do message-based life groups. Here's your assignment. You take the Psalms, the Song of Solomon, which is a beautiful, it's erotic kind of description of, of the beautiful adoration of love. And take those passages in chapter 7, 6 and 9, and 8, 6 and 7, 4, 1 and 2, is a little bit more challenging kind of things. Like, oh, it's a little bit different kind of word I'd use. But there's beauty in God's understanding of our sexuality. Adoration, the expression of marital love, 
recreation, the enjoyment of erotic pleasure. It says this in Proverbs 5.18, May you rejoice in the wife of your youth. A loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be captivated by her love. Oh, ooh, that's in the Bible, yeah. Song of Solomon's even a little bit more uh, risque. The idea of eroticism in the right confines is beautiful. It's of God. But outside those confines, it's destructive. Adoration, recreation, procreation. The extension of the human race. God's gift of sexuality and marriage in those three ways. So God redeems my sexuality in Jesus, and this too is very good. It's my second and quick point. These last two, I just mentioned them as we move forward in the weeks ahead. I want you to know today that God does redeem our sexuality if there's brokenness. It's through Jesus Christ, and it too can be very good. Christ can heal and forgive sexual brokenness, sin, and idolatry. He can restore he can restore what Satan has tried to steal, kill, and destroy, or maybe someone else that did not protect the sanctity of that subject in your relationship. Maybe someone else who even abused you when you were a young person. God is able to restore and heal brokenness, especially if it's become an idol a toxic idol in your life of pursuing the next conquest or the next sense of erotic fulfillment outside of the confines of what God has. I love the verse in Isaiah 1.18. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, His forgiveness in the cross, receiving in your life, going to Him in repentance, receiving afresh His grace and His forgiveness, His wholeness, understanding His big picture of sex and sexuality as He intended for it to be. In that whole journey, there is not only redemption and forgiveness, there is restoration of that which was taken away. White like snow. And it says, like wool here, the actual intent of that behind that language is like virgin wool. And God can restore that which the thief has stolen. The third thing I want to say is God establishes sexual boundaries, which is for my good. My identity is found first in my intimacy with Jesus Christ. My identity is found first in my intimacy with Jesus Christ and as we can unpack it moving forward, there's just this understanding that the boundaries are there for a reason in our life. And what are those boundaries? Let me just list them for you. Sex is for marriage. It's a covenant reflecting Christ's marriage. Christ's covenant with us, the church. And that can be unpacked a lot. No sex outside of marriage is one of those limitations. No premarital sex, no adultery once you're in the marriage. No unchecked lust. It will distort, damage, control, and destroy. So there's my three points. God created me as a sexual being and said it is very good. Jesus redeems my sexuality. God redeems my sexuality in Jesus, and this too is very good. But God establishes sexual boundaries, which is for my good. God is not a killjoy. He's not out to ruin your life. He created. He knows. Follow in the pathway. Receive his beauty of it. I um, want to do something here in closing. I... I don't know if this will relate to you or not. I don't know if you can see it or not. I like fires. I like fireplaces. I don't have a fireplace in my house right now. I miss that. We had one in a 
a prayer house. And uh, it was fun to build the fire in the fireplace. We have a fire pit out back today, so we can build the fire pit there. But I thought maybe I would uh, look at building a fire here today. And uh, you could probably all put this together better than I can for a fire. And I thought about just putting it right down here on the stage. I didn't think some of you could see it probably, so I just thought I'd build it right up here on this table on this stage and, and see how it goes, you know. I have thoughts about how I could... Uh, take this analogy a little bit further. I could, uh, you know, get some gasoline, throw it on there, right? Get my lighter out, let it catch fire. Woo, sweet, man, fire. Fire gives you warmth, right? Fire brings light. Fire brings purity. There's a lot of great things about fire, can bring nice, quaint, intimate, romantic moments too, right? Let's, let's build a fire. Has anybody got some gasoline or a lighter they'd like to give me? Let's see what happens. I'll see how long y'all stay here before you leave. Why do you smile about that? Because you don't put a pile of wood on a stage and start a fire. But a fire is good. It's not the right place for the fire. The fire needs to be contained. It needs to be in a place that has some boundaries to it. It needs to be in a fireplace or in a fire pit or something, right? Or have a bunch of firemen around, right? If it's a bonfire for Halloween kind of stuff, right? You're, you're very conscious that, that fire, though it's good, that it purifies, gives light, and gives warmth, that the fire that can provide a nice, beautiful little setting here in a, a contained fireplace, if you're sitting in one in front of them, that is the same kind of element that is burning a lot of forest and houses in California. Why? Because it's out of its boundary. It's out of its confines. Friends, the passion that you have for sex and sexuality is of God. But He intended for it to be in a place that He designed for it to be. And our passions, if they are taken and just thrown broadly, can destroy your very home. And it's the testimony of many today. Because you thought, you thought something outside was going to be the fix, the enticement. This is going to, but, but when it's all said and done, it doesn't work that way. God intended for our passions and to pour fuel on their passions to be in the context of a marriage. And in that context, there's beauty. But outside of that context, there is destruction. Know this today. God created you as a sexual being, and he said it is very good. If the fire has gotten away into some bad places and burnt you, God redeems your sexuality in Jesus and this too is very good. But may we all own, at whatever level you can possibly own this morning and where you're at in a relationship with Jesus Christ, who intends for that to be your primary identity, may we all own the reality that the boundaries that God establishes for our sexuality are not bad. They too are for my good. Will you pray with me? Lord, this morning across this room and maybe online, for those who have experienced sexual brokenness, disappointment, shame, 
I pray that you would speak love into their life and encourage them. For those who are on that journey of protecting it for marriage, and they wonder if it's worth the wait or when they have the rantings of all their friends or others around them that say, why not? May you lead them to a place of strength again this week to keep that protected for the one that you will unite them with in a covenant marriage someday. And Lord, may we all take a step back on this hot subject of sex and sexuality and open ourselves up to you to receive your understanding and your grace. And may we, too, find that sex and our sexuality is very, very good. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to take their places to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings here this morning. I want to encourage you in this. If you are needing prayer for a spiritual need or a decision today, and you'd like to pray with someone, take that initiative. We have a prayer area over here that you can gather in with our prayer support team. And um, if you're online, you could just simply email pray at theawakening.church. I'm very mindful in this series, and it's not just the sex talks, it can be money talks, and we're going to be looking at power in a few weeks, is that there's a ripping open of some of our lives that need to be healed. And that can be a journey that needs to happen with someone else. So as the offering baskets are passed to receive your connect cards as well as the Lord's tithes and offerings, I just want to encourage you to also consider being a part of a journey with someone else on this subject. And that prayer can be a rightful healing to your heart. I um, am encouraged that next week um, we have a special guest. He's actually one of our own. He's seated here this morning. But uh, I met with Dave Gilmer this week. Dave's a pastor. He's actually our district superintendent over all the Alliance churches in Southern California and Arizona. And uh, we were talking on this subject. And as we were talking, uh, he was saying some things that deeply resonated with me in just a few moments we were sharing. And I asked Dave if he would bring his thoughts concerning this area of sex and sexuality to us next week. Because just like we've talked about in weeks before, that there's much more underneath the waterline that can wreck things, this too, as we looked at last week, concerning money, has a spiritual dynamic to it that's much more deeply rooted than what we would understand. Our sexuality and our spirituality are tied together. Will you come next week? Bring a friend with you. Dave, thanks for sharing next week. We'll be praying for you. These are serious matters. I'm glad that we can do this together as a church family and honor one another, honor God, and worship him in it. We will see you next week. God bless.